Man, they had me there for a second. Whoa, Paddington, my second favorite bear next to Pooh. But that, that little clip from the movie, and you got to see the movie, it's a great movie, um, is a parable of, of our lives. We, we find ourselves in difficult situations. We're hoping beyond hope that somebody will be there to save us, that somebody will, will reach out and grab us, somebody will hold on to us when it looks like all is lost. It's a story of life. It's a story of history. It's a story of our very lives. And it's a story of the Bible. God does hang on to us. God is there for us. When it looks like, like we're falling, when it looks like everything is hopeless, there is hope. And that's what I want to teach you in these next nine weeks as we stay in these psalms that are called the Psalms of Ascent. I want to teach you the parameters of the kingdom of God. I want to teach you about the DNA of, of who God is in our lives and how that really works. And I promise you, you'll be a stronger follower of Christ if you stick in here for these weeks through these Psalms, 120 through 134, in a series we call Real Faith in an Instant Society. Well, this week we moved. We only moved 20 blocks, but the thing about moving is whether it's 20 blocks or whether it's 20 miles or 2,000 miles, you still have to move everything. And I had forgotten about moving and how hard it is. You can't find anything anymore once you move. I went to find my good shoes this morning. I couldn't find them. These are old shoes I pulled out of a trash bag. You know, and I've got to do a wedding this afternoon. Just don't tell the bride, okay? So it's just like you can't find a thing thing. Stuff is in boxes, in bags. It's in the closet that you didn't have before and everything is new and you're trying. I, I, I'm a visual person so I memorize where I put everything and now I have to create all these new visual maps inside of my head. And so it's been a very anxiety producing week. What I didn't realize was that it was also going to be anxiety producing for our two dogs, Bodie and Wilson. And, and who knew that dogs were going to be this anxious over a move? Who knew this? Well, you didn't tell me. <laughs> Why didn't you tell me? You could have helped me be prepared for this. Bodie and Wilson, Wilson, he, he just sort of shakes and then goes and gets in his bed and he puts a duck in his mouth and he just sits there with his duck like the duck is a, is a giant duck pacifier. Uh, Bodie, he looks for... Uh, a way of escape. He's like a, a, a Houdini Shih Tzu. Uh, and, and he looks for a way to, to escape. So the other night, uh, midnight, it's midnight. We're sort of getting settled down. And Gail goes, oh, I think I left my phone out in the car. Would you go get it for me? Now, on the inside, there's two me's. There's the me that goes, what? Are you kidding me? And then there's the husband me that goes, oh, yeah, I'll do that for you. And so, so I go out the door. I crack the door open to go out. And Bodhi sees the, his opportunity. He's out the door like a shot. He's out the door, and he is running as fast as he can for home. 20 blocks north is home. 
except he doesn't know that home doesn't exist anymore. But he is going for it, and he is running. Do you know what it's like to chase a black dog at midnight? <laughs> okay, this is what it looks like, chasing a black dog at midnight. It looks just like that. That's the back view. Let me show you the front view. Here's the front view. That's the front view. And I am seriously, I am out the door now. I am running as fast as I can, which is not fast. But my wife later said, I never saw you run so fast in your life. So I yell back, Gail, I need help. And I'm shouting and I'm running down the street. Bodie, stop. Bodie, I can't see anything. Bodie, stop. Gail catches on to what's going on. She's now out the door in her pajamas. And she's about 10 yards behind me yelling, Bodie, stop. Now, if anybody looks out the window at midnight, they say something like this. The new neighbors are really nuts. <laughs> We've got problems with the people that just moved into the neighborhood. So it's chaotic. It's crazy. We finally cornered them in a front yard where there was some, somebody had a porch light on or something. And we were able to, to get them and, and get them home. But, but isn't that just like life is about... Things that are like that, it's just crazy. It's coming unglued all the time, but you're in it and you have to live it no matter what is happening. We live in a world of rumors, lies, and breaking news. So how are you doing in that world? The rumors are kind of half-truths, stuffed in the skin of a few maybes, lathered with a possibility sauce that is spicy and sweet to the tongue. The lies are bold pronouncements of what doesn't even exist on the radar screen. And breaking news keeps us distracted for a few moments until more breaking news breaks the dreary monotony of the regular news. Did you know that our light rail system is the biggest money loser of all light rail systems in the nation? I could have told you that before we built it. Nobody asked me. That's breaking news. Really, somebody please tell me again the dramatic story of American Pharaoh. Somebody please tell me that LeBron will win this series by sheer willpower. Somebody make my life matter and count. So how are you doing in that world? World of rumors, lies, and breaking news. The truth is, the world has always been that way. You know, we lived in this technologically sophisticated electronic age, but the, the world has always been this way, even without technology. And it's always been a struggle. It's always been people trying to, to work against the circumstances that surround them and come out on the upside while they're being pushed down and forced out. And in this first Psalm that we're going to look at today, in Psalm 120, we hear the painful cry of a person's heart. Eugene Peterson in his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, puts it this way. The 15 songs of ascents describe elements common to all those who apprentice themselves to the Lord Christ and who travel in the Christian way. The first of them is the prod that gets them going. It is not a beautiful song, this Psalm 120. There is nothing either hauntingly melancholy or lyrically happy in it. It is harsh. It is discordant. But it gets things started. The distress that begins and ends the song is the painful awakening to a no longer avoidable reality that we have been lied to. 
The world, in fact, is not as it had been represented to us. Things are not all right as they are, and they are not getting any better. We have been told the lie ever since we can remember. Human beings are basically nice and good. Everyone is born equal and innocent and self-sufficient. The world is a pleasant, harmless place. We are born free. If we are in chains now, it is someone's fault. And we can correct it with just a little more intelligence or effort or time or technology or an Apple Watch. But it doesn't work that way, does it? And so we feel this. And it's been felt long ago. It's been felt for millennia. And this psalm brings us to the heartbeat of facing up to what is really going on in life. Psalm 120. I'm in trouble. Ever feel that way? I'm in trouble now. I cry to God, desperate for an answer. Oh God, why am I here? How did I get here? Why did this happen? What's this about now? Deliver me from the liars, God. They smile so sweetly, but lie through their teeth. Do you know what's next? Can you see what's coming? All you barefaced liars, pointed arrows and burning coals will be your reward. And so the psalmist is saying that in the end, the lies don't go anywhere. The lies never get anybody anywhere. And they will, be, they will be sore afraid at some point in the future because of their lies and their deceit and their wickedness and their evil ways. But it still hurts. I'm in trouble. I cry to God, desperate for an answer. And then the psalmist writes, I'm doomed. I'm doomed to live in Mesek, cursed with a home in Kedar. Now, Mesek is in Asia Minor by the Black Sea, and it's a long way from Jerusalem. So it's kind of like saying, I am so far out there, I can't even think about home anymore. I am living on the other side of the world, the Black Sea there, right at the top. And then you can look down at the bottom and you see where the Red Sea is. It's so far apart. It's so far gone. I'm so far away. And cursed with a home in Kedar. Those are the, Kedar was a word that described the Arab tribesmen who lived in tents in the Arabian desert. And so I'm living with people that aren't my family. I'm living with people that aren't my friends. I'm living with people who don't understand me, don't speak my language, don't know what I like for dinner, aren't going to celebrate my birthday. People surround me, and they don't care. And I'm so lost, and I'm so far from home. My whole life lived camping. To me, that's a horrible feeling. My whole life lived camping. I was a Boy Scout. I didn't like it. I cried. I was not a good Boy Scout. My whole life lived camping among quarreling neighbors. People are arguing, arguing, arguing. I'm all for peace. Literally, it says in Hebrew, I peace. It can be better translated, I am a man of peace, or I am a person of peace. But the minute I tell them, the minute I tell these people that don't care about me, they go to war. People are angry. People are vindictive. People are aggressive. I'm in trouble. I cry to God, desperate for an answer. 
And so much of life is like that. But people aren't honest about it. And so we go about our days trying to think that we're going to be okay and trying to believe that we're going to be okay. But sooner or later in life, we all get to this point of Psalm 120. Oh, God, how did I get here? Oh, God, how did this happen? Oh, God, what's going to happen now? And so you need to know the parameters of the truth in order to get through times like this. Sheryl Sandberg, the CEO of Facebook, posted a letter this week that was a very heartfelt, poignant letter. Her husband, Dave Goldberg, who was the CEO of SurveyMonkey, died at age 47. They were in Mexico. Uh, I think it might have been a conference, combination, vacation. I'm not sure of all the details, but he took a break to go to the gym. Whatever happened in the gym, he fell, and he, he died. 47. And her husband's gone. 47. And his life is over. And so she posted this letter 30 days after his death. Today is the end of Shelashim for my beloved husband, the first 30 days. Judaism calls for a period of an intense mourning known as Shiva that lasts seven days after a loved one is buried. After Shiva, most normal activities can be resumed, but it is the end of Shelashim that marks the completion of religious mourning for a spouse. A childhood friend of mine who is now a rabbi recently told me that the most powerful one-line prayer he has ever read is, let me not die while I am still alive. I would have never understood that prayer before losing Dave. Now I do. I'm in trouble. I cry to God, desperate for an answer. She writes, I think when tragedy occurs, it presents a choice. You can give in to the void, the emptiness that fills your heart, your lungs, constricts your ability to, to think or even breathe. Or you can try to find meaning. These past 30 days, I've spent many of my moments lost in that void. And I know that many future moments will be consumed by the vast emptiness as well. But when I can, I want to choose life and meaning. I have lived 30 years. In these 30 years, I am 30 years sadder. I feel like I am 30 years wiser. I have lived 30 years in these 30 days, I should have said. She talks then about her friends and her family. In the brutal moments when I am overtaken by the void, when the months and years stretch out in front of me, endless and empty, only their faces pull me out of the isolation and fear. My appreciation for them knows no bounds. And then she writes in maybe the, the most educational moment of her letter, and I encourage you to, to Google it and read the entire letter. She writes this, I have learned that resilience can be learned. Adam M. Grant taught me that three things are critical to resilience and that I can work on all three. Personalization, realizing it is not my fault. He told me to ban the word sorry, to tell myself over and over, this is not my fault. Permanence, remembering that I won't feel like this forever. This will get better. Pervasiveness, this does not have to affect every area of my life. The ability to compartmentalize is healthy. 
What I noticed that was interesting was Dr. Henry Cloud taught these principles two years ago at the Global Leadership Summit in his message titled The Death Spiral of a Leader. He said we, we have to work hard to avoid these three Ps, personal, pervasive, and permanent when we come up against these great life challenges. Personal, it's not personal. You're, you're not in this great life challenge, this difficult moment, because somehow you did something wrong. It is just life. It's what happens. Sooner or later, we all hit that point. Sooner or later, something all crashes in, and it's not your fault that you're there. You're just there. Pervasive. It doesn't mean that it is taking over every area of your life. It doesn't take over every area of your life. It's not that now everything is a mess because of this one situation or everything is falling apart because this one situation is falling apart or this one area of your life is tanking. It's not pervasive. You can move through some other areas of your life. You can begin to, to stitch things back together by God's grace, not on your strength, but on his strength, not with your wisdom, but with his wisdom. And then finally, permanent. Permanent means that it's not going to last forever. Don't think that your life is forever overtaken by this. Is your life changed? Yes, your life is profoundly changed by a situation like this. In this case, the loss of a spouse or the demise of a business or the, the, the loss of a career or any other number of things, a bankruptcy, a divorce. And yet, it's, it's not permanent. It doesn't color everything dark in the rest of your life. There's an ancient story told by a rabbi about a man who's lost on a journey. He's going through a dark forest, and in this dark forest, he feels alone, very alone. He feels very lost. He feels very afraid. Behind every tree is lurking danger. And then a great storm seems to come out of nowhere, a maelstrom, and it surrounds him. And there's thunder and there's lightning. Could it get any worse? And the rabbi then says, the fool looks and sees the lightning and becomes more afraid. The wise person now sees the road that is illuminated before him, before her, and moves ahead in the journey. And that's one of the, the key aspects that God wants us to understand. That in the middle of, of a moment like this, when you go, oh God, I'm in trouble. Oh God, what are we going to do now? Sometimes God sends lightning. Not so that you will be afraid of the storm, but to illuminate the road that he wants you to go down now. And that road can be a road of change. That road can be a road of grace that's at a deeper level of grace than you've ever experienced before. That road can illuminate the wisdom of God in a way that you've never taken in before. But you have a choice to only see the storm and the lightning or to see the road that is now illuminated and to go the way that God has ordained for you. There's a, there's a tension that we live in our lives all the time. We're not always aware of the tension. 
but it's there. It's a tension that Eugene Peterson talks about in a long obedience in the same direction. It's this tension of, are you going to be a Christian tourist? Are you going to be a Christian pilgrim? See, a Christian tourist has an agenda. That agenda is, is this going to make me feel better? What am I going to get out of this? A Christian tourist looks around, sees the good things that are there, appreciates them for being good, but never quite enters in, always looking, always looking for what is beautiful and good and makes them feel better. And with, if anything challenging comes up, they're, they're off the, the trip. You know, let me off the bus. Let me off the, the tour. Um, when Jesus told the parable of the, the sower and the seeds, he tells about the seeds who fall amongst the, 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 on the rocky soil. And, and they grow up. They grow up. But when time of testing comes, they, the plants wither because they have no root system. See, and that's, that's sort of like the story of a, of a tourist ever looking, not having a root system so that you get to the place where you go, oh God, this is really hard. And you really don't know what to do. And you see the lightning and the storm and you don't see the road. But a, a Christian pilgrim sees the road. A Christian pilgrim knows that they are on this great journey that God has ordained for them. They know that along the way, they're going to have opportunities to, to grow and to see and to do and to become that are all part of the work of God shaping them for something that is bigger than who they are, that's bigger than, than them feeling good or them always just seeing the beautiful things, this tension of tourist versus pilgrim is always there. My daughter-in-law, Nina, writes a, a blog. It, it's a great blog. Uh, it's called Songs to Sing. It's all about real faith in an instant society. And last week was her birthday. And she very, very humbly and very vulnerably wrote this story. She calls it Balloons, Birthdays, and Other Thoughts. It's been an intense couple of months. Not intense in the roller coaster riding, marathon training, dark chocolate sort of way. Intense in the, my life doesn't seem to be working anymore and I don't know how to make it work again. And I'm making jokes about that, but deep down I'm sad and tired and dreading the nights, the days, and definitely all the meal sort of way. My prayer world had become three prayers, really. Please don't let them remember this year. And please don't let me remember this year. And please don't let another year be like this. I hear an echo of Psalm 120 in there. Even as I spoke, I was overcome by the story of two people choosing to run away from Jerusalem, a place of grief and disappointment over the crucifixion, just when Jerusalem was becoming the scene of resurrection. She's referring to the story of the two disciples going down the road to Emmaus. It's about seven miles outside of Jerusalem, and they're walking, they're talking, and they, they can't understand, and a stranger walks up next to them and, and starts to walk with them, and it's Jesus, but they don't know. She writes, they let their disappointment push them away from the places God was making new, and their unmet expectations keep them from seeing Jesus, risen, standing right before them. 
We had hoped is the line that haunts me, she writes. They say it to Jesus, describing what all of us carry around birthday to birthday. It wasn't supposed to look like this. I was supposed to be better than this. Life was supposed to be different, easier, cleaner, more glamorous. These unnamed friends of Jesus are so lost in their grief over how they think things should have been and what he should have done that they don't see him standing in front of them. They don't recognize him until he's gone. But when they realize it was him, they stop running and they go back, back to their community, back to where they belong, to the work God was doing in Jerusalem and the work that is before them. I have a Henry Cloud quote posted above my desk. It reads, you are ridiculously in charge of your life. I can't miss the fact that said desk is currently covered with other people's stuff. Regardless, I love this quote. Some days it's just a reminder I need that I have other options besides complaining. But in its fullness, it points to the truth that this life, exhausting, non-hypoallergenic, haphazard, ridiculous, painful, exasperating, and overflowing is the one in front of me. In this life, God is doing new things and calling me to participate. And in this life, he stands in the midst. He stands in the midst. It's the difference between being a tourist and a pilgrim. You have just heard the words of a pilgrim, someone who's willing to, to walk in the struggle, walk through the pain, and look for the lightning to illuminate the path that God is laying out in front of them. So what are the voids in your life today? Where do you find yourself saying, God, I'm in trouble. God, what are we going to do now? Let me take a few guesses. You have fallen into a void of thinking. It can't get better than where you are right now in life. You're just stuck. You don't know where to go. You don't know what to do. And God whispers in the darkness of that void, look at the road, the lightning shines on a road. You're falling into a, a void of thinking. You're never going to find the relationship that works. Oh, there, there are lots of relationships. But what about that one? What about that one that knows you for who you really are and makes you a better you than you could ever be by yourself. You have fallen into a void of feeling a deep loss from life that's shifted all your expectations. Everything has just turned upside down. Oh God, I'm in trouble. And God says, no, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you right now. You're falling into a void of questioning the security of your future. All of us as human beings look at the future and we want it to be safe. And we want it to be secure, but it, 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 it's up for grabs in so many ways. How do you predict it? How do you know? I was with a, a gentleman yesterday who, who recently retired and he, he wondered out loud, I think I have enough money. I, I hope I have enough money. 
On the other side of rumors, lies, and breaking news is the truth. But here's the thing about the truth. You have to be willing to see it. And sometimes it's the, the lightning that illuminates it. So let me tell you about the truth. The truth is there is nowhere in your life that God isn't there. Nowhere. I don't care where you are. There's nowhere that God isn't there with you to care for you, to help you see the road. The truth is you have people who will help you if you ask. If you ask. Sometimes we, we want for things just because we don't ask. We need wisdom. Ask for wisdom. We need direction. Ask for, for help. You need a sounding board. Ask somebody to be your sounding board. You're missing something in your life and you don't know how to get it back. Ask. Ask. The whole of the Bible is written in the context of people caring for people. It's a community that God made. It's not just individuals that God made. He, he delights in your individuality. He rejoices in our community. God is a community, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He rejoices when we are one with each other. The truth is you have people who will help you if you ask. The truth is there's nowhere in your life that God isn't there. The truth is the tough times in life prepare you in a way no easy time can. It's how you get to maturity. It's how you stop being a tourist. You become a pilgrim, a disciple. The tough times prepare you in a way no easy time can. And the answer to Psalm 120 comes in Psalm 121, and that's where we're going next week. So I trust you'll be here as we walk through that part of understanding what God is doing in our lives. But as we go and before we go, remember this, two things. Beware of chasing black dogs in the dark. <laughs> and always, always look to the road that is outlined by the lightning. Dear Heavenly Father, sometimes we we get to these places in our lives when we just don't know how it's going to work. These times press us into your hearts. So I pray right now, Father, for every person who's either had that moment or is having that moment right now, that moment of, oh, God, I'm in trouble. Oh, God, what's going to happen now? I just pray that your lightning will illuminate their roads. I pray that your hand of comfort will be upon their hearts. Father, I pray that you will show us more and more how to care for each other. Father, may the truth be that maturity at the deepest level arises out of these dark and difficult times for the end result that we might serve, your, serve you well, that we might be your hands and your feet in this world of darkness that needs to see the light. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.